Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Bell Telephone Series. This is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents and educators and other professionals working with young children with visual impairment. The topics discussed should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye condition. I'd like to welcome Dr. Bill. Thank you very much, Karen. Yeah, star six will meet your line. And at the end of the podcast, we'll open it up if any of you have questions. I'd like to thank Ayers LA and Mr. Dick Burden for recording this. So this will be available to you at Ayers LA. That's www.airsla.org and also at www.brailleinstitute.org. Tonight, we're going to talk about observations to help you determine a child's visual strengths and weaknesses. Now, I want to give a disclaimer here. You know, the purpose of this lecture is not to teach you to perform a vision examination. All children should be examined by an ophthalmologist or an optometrist, because it is only those doctors who are qualified to make a diagnosis. But one of the things that you may notice is that many times when a child is examined by a doctor, the examination is fairly quick. I have friends of mine who are pediatric ophthalmologists, and they say they may see anywhere between 75 to 85 patients a day. And during that time, eye drops are placed in the eye to dilate the pupil so that they could look into the eye and identify any types of diseases. But when a child's eyes are dilated, you don't have the ability to measure many aspects of a child's function. In other words, you could see what might be wrong inside, but you cannot really measure what the child is able to see. And so it is these particular types of behaviors that we'll talk about tonight that will give you a clue as to what the child can or cannot see. And from these observations you make, you could share this information with your child's eye doctor so the doctor could make a further, more detailed examination. Also, there are low-vision optometrists who specialize in these functional vision assessments. And these functional vision assessments concentrate on telling you what are the child's visual strengths and weaknesses. So the first thing is that we need to go ahead and to simply make very careful observations. Now, these are observations that do not require that anybody has medical training or a degree. But when we make some of these observations, we should make note of anything that seems to be a little bit different or if there's a behavior that just doesn't seem to be quite right and you want to write these things down. You also want to put the date that you made these observations. And the reason for this is that vision is a developed skill. 
the level of vision that most children have, it will change with time. So are there certain visual skills and certain visual behaviors that a child will not have at a particular age, but they can develop it as they grow older? For example, did you know that a newborn baby really is only able to see black and white? If you show them colorful pictures and toys, it just looks like different shades of gray. But as a child grows older, we find that with each month of life, a child will begin to develop higher levels of color vision. So this is just one example that shows how vision is something that develops. Now, the first thing to do when you observe the child is to basically look at the structures of the eyes. Are both eyelids about equal? Or is there one eyelid that is drooping much more than the other? If you notice that an eyelid is drooping, that is something called ptosis, P-T-O-S-I-S, and that may be an indication of a weak muscle or a weak nerve. And we want to treat the ptosis right away. The reason for this is that if we have one eye that doesn't open fully, the brain will begin to use the eye that is open fully. And the eye that is only partially open, the brain will begin to ignore the vision of that eye. Now, if the brain continues to ignore using the vision of that eye for months and months and months, the brain cells that are responsible for vision, they will not fully develop. And this is when a child would then have blurred vision because the brain did not use that eye. So we look first at the equalness of the opening of the eyelids. The next thing that you could do with respect to the eyelids is that you can actually quickly move your hand towards a child's eyes and you want to observe does the child blink and close both eyes as a reflex to protect the eyes. If a child's eyes do not close and blink, when you're bringing your hand closer to the eyes, that may indicate that the child's vision is weak or that there is a problem with the eyelid's nerve reflexes. And this may be another indication of a problem to the nerves. The third thing to look at is to look at the eyes themselves. Are the eyes steady or are they shaking? There are many children who will have shaking eyes where the eyes will rapidly shake from side to side and the right eye will shake together with the left eye. This is something that is called nystagmus, N-Y-S-T-A-G, M-U-S. Now, the larger the degree that the eyes move, the greater concern that the vision is poorer. But if the nystagmus is just very, very mild, it usually indicates that the child may have higher levels of vision or better vision. So, 
We recommend all children who have nystagmus to be evaluated by an ophthalmologist to find out what might be the cause of it. It is possible that there may be a problem in the eye, but there is also something that is called congenital nystagmus, where it is an inherited trait, and all the children in the family have nystagmus, but they have a quite high degree of vision. When you're also looking at the eyes, you may also see a situation in which the two eyes are not moving together. In other words, one eye is moving to the left and the other eye is moving up. And when the other eye moves to the right, the other eye moves downward. And it's very, very tiring to look at these kids' eyes because they never stop moving and they're moving in different directions. This is something that is called a nystagmoid movement, and it is often indicative that the child has very poor vision or that the child may be blind. This is one of the reasons that some people who are born blind, they wear sunglasses all the time because they don't want people to see their eyes because it's so distracting. Now, when you're looking at the child's eyes, you also then want to look at the pupils of the eyes. You know, when you look at a child's eyes, they usually have a colored eye. The eyes are either blue or green or brown. And then in the very center, you have the black circle. And that black circle is called the pupil. Now, the pupil is actually a hole that allows light to go into the eye. And if you have a situation when you look at the pupil of a child's eyes and you see the pupil is not completely black, maybe part of it is grayish, or maybe part of it looks like it's a little bit discolored. You can notice that there's sort of a film. Maybe it's in front of one eye or in front of both eyes. But this is an indication that the child may have a cataract. And the cataract is something that is very, very successfully treated. For some kids, the cataract may be so mild that they don't need surgery. And we often can prescribe special glasses. Often yellow glasses are very effective for people who have cataracts. And it also is something can protect the eyes from developing a more severe cataract. But if a baby needs cataract surgery, the cataract, which is the lens inside the eye, has been clouded. That clouded lens can be removed very easily. And that will then improve the child's vision. Now, what you then want to do is you want to get a little further from the child. Maybe you're going to get about two feet away from the child. From that distance, you want to make the determination of whether the child is making eye contact with you. Is this child able to make eye contact? You know, there are some kids that will reflexively make good eye contact. Now, from birth to three months... You may need to get a little bit closer. From birth to three months, a child sees best at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. 
But I'll never forget it. When my daughter was born, this is no exaggeration. As soon as she was born, her head popped out and her eyes opened up and she looked right at me. I could not believe it. So I moved to another location and she turned her head and she looked at me again. It was just so amazing and so powerful when you could tell that someone is making eye contact. If the child is able to make eye contact with you, that suggests that this child has strong central vision. And the importance of central vision means that the child has clear vision. But if the child does not make eye contact, it may mean that there's something wrong with the central vision and the vision is blurred. Let me say that again. Birth to three months, a child sees best at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. And then as a child grows older, from three months to six months, the child can see at a distance of about 24 inches to 36 inches. And then from six months to nine months, the child is going to be able to see your face and make eye contact from five to ten feet. And then after 12 months to two years, the child will then begin to make eye contact and follow you beyond 20 feet. So this shows us that visual is the sight, the clarity of sight is something that develops from close to far and the easiest way for you to make note of that is if this child is able to make eye contact. That is the central vision. Now you also want to take a look at the child's peripheral vision. The peripheral vision is what allows the child to see toys and other objects off to the side. And the easiest way that you can do this is that you could turn down the lights in the room so it's fairly dim. And you might have a light that's going to be flashing on your face so that your child can look right at your face. And as a child looks at your face, you might have a little toy it might be a finger puppet that's slightly illuminated, and you could put that in the child's peripheral vision on the left side of the child. Turn it on and make an observation if the child is able to see that little finger puppet that turned on on its left visual field. Then you turn it off. Let the child look at your face, and now you might put it in the child's right visual field and you could determine if the child sees it in that other side. You do the same thing in the upper, in the lower fields. And in this way, you can get an idea of how the child's peripheral vision is. You may find that there are some children who are able to see things faster on one side of their peripheral vision than the other. Another indication that a child may have reduced peripheral vision is if the child has weakness or paralysis to one side of the body. 
if the child has a weak left arm and a weak left leg, that may indicate that there is also reduced peripheral vision on that left side. The reason this often happens is that injury to the brain is something that can affect the strength to one side of the body. And the region where the peripheral vision is controlled in the brain is called the occipital and the parietal lobes of the brain. Those areas are right next to the areas that control the movement of the body. So if a child maybe suffered from a brain hemorrhage at birth, maybe it's affected the region of the brain that controls movement of the body and the peripheral vision on the same side. So take a look. If you notice one side of the body seems to be weaker, you want to check the peripheral vision on that same side. Another way that you could also make another observation that might indicate that a child has reduced peripheral vision on one side is that the child may turn his or her head towards the direction of where there is the reduced peripheral vision. So let's say, for example, that a child is not able to see on the peripheral vision on the right side. What these kids will do is they will often turn their head to the right, which allows them to have a wider field of view. So this is a very, very good sign to look for, and it helps you identify if they've had this kind of loss of peripheral vision. Now, with peripheral vision loss, we know that visual stimulation is very, very important. So the earlier that we could identify the loss of peripheral vision, we could then recommend activities. The doctor might recommend prism glasses, and we will tell the parents to sit and to present toys and the bottle on the child's reduced peripheral vision side. And these are ways that we could stimulate the development of peripheral vision on that weaker side. Now, after we have done these things, we have measured how clearly a person could see at different distances. We have measured the peripheral vision. Now we also want to look at the movement of the eyes. Is this child able to follow a moving toy? Or can this child follow your face? If the child does like to look at your face, you might move your face from one place to another. And just make note, if the child moves her head to follow you, or if the child moves her eyes to follow you. Very early on in life, the first six months of life, most children will be moving their head. But by 12 months, they usually begin to move their eyes to follow you. So that ability to follow is a very important sign. If you do find that the child is older than 12 months and cannot follow with the eyes, we then need to take a look to see if there's a problem in a particular region of the brain. It's called the parietal lobe of the brain, which controls 
the ability to follow a moving object as well. These kids who have weakness to one side of the body and who have the reduced peripheral vision on the same side often will have difficulty following on that same side as well. So you could kind of see how all of this all fits together just by the way that the brain controls these skills. Another eye movement skill is called the scanning. This is where the child is going to shift the eye from one location to another and that the child is not following a moving toy. This could be where the child is looking at your face and laughing and then they scan and look because they see somebody in a different location. This type of eye movement is called a saccade, S-A-C-C-A-D-E, and this is controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. So if we see that a child has difficulty with that type of eye movement, we could inform the doctor and they will then perform particular tests. Some children who have suffered from seizure disorders may have very poor saccadic eye movements and we may then find that the seizure activity is localized in that frontal region of the brain. Now another eye movement to look at is the coordination of the two eyes together. Are the eyes straight or are they crossed inward or is one or both eyes pointing outward? You may have all seen people, some people who have a crossed eye or other people, their eye is drifting outward. And when you look at them, it's kind of awkward because you don't know, are they looking at me or are they looking at somebody else? One of the easiest ways for you to monitor this is to take a photograph. And when you take a photograph, the flash will usually flash on, and you could look for the reflection of the flash in the pupil of one or both eyes. The eye that has the flash reflection right in the center, that is the eye that the child is using. If the reflection of the flash is not in the center of the other eye, then we know that that eye is misaligned. So when a child has a misaligned eye like this, we also need to begin the vision treatments as early as possible. Because, number one, when the eyes are misaligned, the child sees double vision. Number two, if they have double vision, the brain tends to ignore the vision of the misaligned eye. And when the brain ignores the vision from the misaligned eye, those brain cells do not grow and the clarity of sight does not develop. So these are the kids that we can refer to the doctor. The doctor may recommend glasses to straighten the eye. They may recommend surgery, and they will recommend patching. And the type of patching that we do is a way to make certain that those brain cells do develop. Now, another good observation to make is take your child outside. Does your child keep his or her eyes closed when you go outdoors? Or 
sure, is your child able to play and keep the eyes open very comfortably in the direct sunlight? Children who are squinting all the time or children who close their eyes completely when they're outdoors, this is what is called photophobia, and this may be an indication that they have a problem with the eyes and that these kids may have an eye disease that needs treatment. Other types of things that you want to do is to observe how accurately can your child reach for objects. Can your child reach for objects accurately or does your child always miss it? Maybe your child's trying to grab a cup of juice and the child is always missing it. That sign of poor eye-hand coordination, it means this child has poor depth perception. It probably means that the eyes are slightly misaligned or that one eye is not seen as clearly than the other and the child needs glasses. Take a look to see how the child is crawling. Did the child bump into things on the right shoulder all the time? That might mean that the child has poor peripheral vision on that side. Or maybe the child is slow at walking. The child always wants to crawl. But this child has the physical ability to walk, but the child wants to crawl. Kids who have blurred vision or poor depth perception very frequently want to continue to crawl. So, these particular types of observations are ways that you could make a list of things and you could identify many of these different types of visual strengths and their weaknesses. We have identified, can they keep their eyes steady? Do they have the central vision to make eye contact? And how far away can they do that? We have measured their peripheral vision. We've measured their ability to move their eyes to follow a moving object. We've measured, can they scan from one place to another? We've measured the alignment of the two eyes to check if it's crossed or one's drifting out. We've also have taken a look at their ability to adapt to bright light and their eye-hand coordination and their mobility. So all of this information is very important and it really gives you the information to talk about the child's function. So at this time, I'd like to open it up. If any of you have questions, go ahead and unmute your phone and you could ask any questions or you could share any techniques and observations that you make. Does anybody have any questions or like to share any observations? Dr. Bill? Dr. Bill? I'm seeing a new family, um, so I, I have not actually met the child and the family. We've just had a phone conversation with mom. And um, this little fellow, it's been recommended by his ophthalmologist that they do patching. Mm -hmm. And mom is uh, has heard about a vision therapist who is recommending not using a solid patch but an opaque patch. And oh, she had cool. asked 
me about that, and um, well, I actually referred her to Partners for Pediatric Vision. <laughs> um, but I, I I want to when I see her to be able to share some of your knowledge regarding that. Yeah, that's a very very good question, and uh, the purpose again of patching is to block the vision of the better eye or to block the vision of one eye. And this will force the brain to use the weaker eye. So I prefer to use the scotch tape patch. If the child has glasses, or even if the child doesn't wear glasses, I will then recommend a frame, and we will put the scotch tape on. And the reason that we like the scotch tape is that it is easier If you put a bandage patch on the child's eye, when you peel it off, it hurts, and the children, they cry and things. There's also the pirate patches with elastic, and they don't stay in place. But there's also another visual reason that we like to use this frosted patch, is that when we have a scotch tape frosted patch, under this situation, actually both eyes receive light. And what that means is that we are teaching this child how to use both eyes at the same time. When we use a completely dark patch, the brain is only getting stimulated by one eye, and it is more difficult for the brain to learn to use both eyes. So I really do like the use of the scotch tape patch and we then need the doctor to recommend a patching schedule. I do not like kids to be patched all day. I, in some cases, I think it could be dangerous. I would right. rather yeah. that the child is going to be patched for a half an hour, and during that time, the child is with mom or dad, and maybe they're eating breakfast. Uh, maybe they're going to read a book together. Maybe they're watching TV. Maybe they're going to go for a walk. But if they do the patching during an activity and the parents are there to watch, that's the best way. Good question. Thank you. Was there another question? Yes, Dr. Bill, this is Sonia. Um, Hi, Sonia. um, I actually have seen this little guy. It's a new um, new kid that I just saw. Um, And, you know, what I observed, him doing is that he has the horizontal nystagmus, which oh, is pretty yes. obvious, but um, the, uh, the, what he's trying to do, what I noticed that he's tried to do is that he turns his head to the right side, and then his, le- his eyes are going to the left. Unfortunately, mom has not gotten any di- visual diagnosis yet. Okay. So... I mean, and they are basically telling her that everything is okay with him, um, that his vision is fine, and so, but she feels that there is a problem with him because of that visual behavior that he's having. Yeah, Sonia, that's um, a really good observation, and there is something wrong with this child's vision. First of all, the nystagmus, the shaking of the eyes, is is not really a normal thing. You know, when we look at most children, we don't see their eyes shaking. 
Mm-hmm. Now, when children do have that type of shaking, when they do have the nystagmus, many children have what we call a null point, N-U-L-L. There's a position that the nystagmus, the shaking, is the least. And so they will often turn their head one direction and move their eyes in the opposite direction, and they will find the position that their eyes shake the least. So for this boy, it seems like when he turns his head to the right and moves his eyes to the left, the eyes are not shaking as much. And when he does that, he could see a lot clearer. Now, if we did the opposite, or we turned his head to the left and made him move his eyes to the right, we would probably measure that his vision is much blurrier when he does that. So in some cases, if a child is still doing that when they're a little bit older, seven years old or so, we may refer them to an ophthalmologist, and they can do an eye muscle surgery that will reduce the nystagmus and allow the eyes to be straight ahead. So that will be something that could be very, very helpful for them. Okay. Now, the other concern that mom has is that his left eye tends to be wider open than the other one. And she okay. doesn't know. I mean, that's basically the reason why she went to the ophthalmologist because she noticed that, you know, his eyes could be normal, and all of a sudden, he, um, his left eye, his eyelid tends to be like, like, not you know, like the toe is kind of close in, but this one is the opposite. It's wider. Yes. Open. Yes. Yeah, we need to. Uh, I would. I would recommend that we would make a referral to a neuro ophthalmologist. Okay. And the neuro-ophthalmologist will look at the nerves from the brain stem for that, okay? Okay. To see if there's something different, something wrong with cranial nerve number three, okay? Okay. okay. So that's a very Thank good so question. Much. Thank you so much, Dr. Dill. Yes. Thank you. Are there any other questions out there? Okay. This is great. So I want to thank everybody for being on the call this evening. And uh, you can let others know who missed it that they can go back and listen to this podcast. Uh, we want to thank again Airs LA for recording this. It's be available at www.airsla. That's a i r s l a dot org, and also at the Braille Institute website at www.brailleinstitute.org. dot org.